Happy Monday! Welcome to the Monday Morning Data Chat. Every Monday morning, Joe Reese and Matt Housley have candid and unscripted chats about all things data, sometimes with special guests. If you want unfiltered and honest conversations about data engineering, data architecture, data science, and analytics, this is the show for you. It's time to chat, so let's get going. Happy Monday, everybody. Good morning. Happy Monday. Awesome. Uh, yeah, awesome. Well, today we have uh, Josh Vanamram uh, from uh, Databand. For people who don't know who you are, do you want to give a quick intro? Absolutely. Yeah, I'm Josh. I'm CEO and co-founder at Databand. Uh, we're helping to introduce better reliability of data for data engineering teams. A um, little tiny bit about my background. Uh, I come from a lot of different experiences within the data domain. It started off in the investment world, spent time as a product manager for a good while, was working very, very closely with data engineers, data analysts, data scientists, until we started Databand to help make uh, this domain more workable, sane, future-proof, and we're off to a, a good start here. That's really cool. Yeah, and uh, we, we jokingly uh, uh, call this Observability October. Um, and we're talking to, to quite a few people in the observability space you know, over the past few weeks. Um, but I want to get your take on this. Like, why is data observability uh, super popular right now? Great question. So I think there's a bunch of factors at play, but how we've thought about it from really the beginning is it's a natural phase in the evolution of the overall data market. I think the, the first layer foundational tooling has been adopted by teams already. Basically, many, many data organizations today are effectively moving data from point A to point B. And once you have that path of data set, once the travel of data works, the next question that comes up is, naturally going to be, well, how reliable is this, right? We start building business processes off of it. Teams are now pushing into more advanced analytics. They're getting machine learning online. And once those pipelines are initially set, you move really quickly into the questions around, well, can we depend on the outputs of these processes and actually drive our business off of them? So essentially, like once tools like Airflow and DBT and Snowflake, Databricks, all these solutions have matured and people are able to much more effectively move data around, it seems like a natural jumping off point to bring in good tools to understand that the data is uh, what you need it to be to actually drive your, your business off of it. I think another, another important factor on it is just the demand in the market for good data products. Uh, we, we seem to have definitely crossed the chasm in the hype cycle and many more organizations are at a point today where their data products are directly associated with bottom line, their profit, their revenue, and really unlike ever before, organizations are baking analytics into their actual applications. Teams are more and more addicted to their analytical products and it's a it's just a natural timing to, uh, to uh, be investing and better tools for reliability. I think probably the, the third factor and a really important one was is that we have new levels of standardization 
that's made it easier for companies like ours to enter in and provide a systematic way of measuring your data flows and the quality of your data. And that standardization is coming from the maturity of tooling that I was mentioning before and different databases that are getting a lot more adoption and different orchestration providers where there's more centralized places to plug in and get the metadata that you need to provide good visibility. It's interesting. Walk me through the standardization that you're seeing real quick. Like, what, what do you mean um, uh, by standardization? Meaning that there's more available access points for the information that's required to provide observability. So if, if what observability is all about is giving it end users, giving data engineers, data analysts, data scientists exposure into information about how their pipelines and their data sets work. That's what we can broadly define as observability and using that information to call out issues when they occur. There's now more standardized, centralized places where vendors like us can come in and actually tap into that metadata and derive insights from it. So a couple examples would be databases like Snowflake, right, or, or BigQuery. These are tools that more and more organizations are using to manage their data infrastructure. And instead of uh, having a highly, highly fragmented or, or as fragmented uh, surface area to have to go in and pull metadata out, you can now go to the thousands and thousands of organizations that are using tools like Snowflake and immediately and repeatedly have access to crucial metadata that helps you inform a observability product. Similarly, with tools like Airflow, uh, standards that are being used to run an organization's data pipelines, or DBT, there's more pattern matching that an organization like ours can come in for how we get metadata, what we do with the metadata, and that standardization makes it easier for us to build a scalable offering that many organizations can use. So it, it's when I say standardization, what I mean is the availability of metadata from common interfaces that allow a company like ours to build a repeatable process to derive insights that inform our users. Cool, that makes a lot of sense. Actually, Scott Taylor, um, what's up, Scott? Uh, he has a question here. Um, so what is the role of the formal data governance group in data observability? Aren't they supposed to manage data quality? That's a great question. Uh, th this, the relationships between governance and observability are, are something that will often uh, help our users and organizations navigate. What I find is that they often come from different core requirements and different domains in the organization. Observability is something that we often find arriving or, or arising from core engineering efforts. And a lot of what that initiative, what the observability initiative is about is ensuring the quality and reliability of an actual product or, or technical process, the delivery of data. Uh, the observability term doesn't even derive from the data domain. It's something that we've appropriated and borrowed for this area, but it starts from other engineering domains. There are plenty of observability products that come from the SRE world or the DevOps world Datadog being a standard one. And the uh, another reason maybe that we're seeing observability so hot right now 
Um, where we have seen this term really take off is from the engineers that have come from the software application world where observability is a standard. They know that they need tools to help ensure good awareness and visibility into how software applications run. These engineers come from that domain. They've moved over to the data world. This gives rise to the data engineer, and they're looking for similar engineering-oriented solutions that will allow them to guarantee good reliability and quality of this new product that they're working on, which is just very data pipeline intensive. It's all about the data. So this is where we've seen data observability really arise within our world. It's about the quality assurance of a data product. The governance side of things we'll often see come from more the executive level or from the compliance organization. There's a lot more of a security connotation baked into the governance aspect of things. It's, it's much more about ensuring that the right people have access to the right information. This is not so much an engineering uh, concern as it is a overall organizational concern that folks are working with the right data. The overlap there is you're sitting on a consistent body of metadata to inform these different use cases. Uh, but the derived insights might actually go to different kinds of stakeholders that care about different things. As an observability product, our users care when a pipeline goes down and an important data set is disrupted. And they need uh, tooling and solutions that help them go in and fix those problems, for example. One output of that might be some information that goes towards a governance group, but it's a little different in the sense that governance is really going to flag alarm bells when you have a analyst accessing a data asset that they shouldn't be accessing or a data scientist going into uh, a data set that they shouldn't have um, uh, access into. So it's a little bit of a, a different end use case, but sits on common kinds of, of metadata to inform both of those problems. And I think one of our observations as we started writing our book was that uh, these enterprise topics like data governance were coming back into vogue. In other words, you know, 90s, early 2000s, enterprises had these really strong central data management groups, very monolithic tool sets to manage data. And all that's coming back in with a big difference. It's much less command and control now. In other words, it used to be about a central committee that would make big decisions. And now you have individual groups doing their own kind of data governance stuff. And so to me, it seems like the data governance team has shifted roles from like controlling things to leading the company on data governance. I don't know if that matches your observations or not. I think so. I think um, what we, an interesting trend that we've seen um, that we've seen pick up in the market through our, our travels is that the notion of uh, centralization of decision making from the top down, uh, the classic sort of IT, uh, the IT decision making process on what tools you use and how you organize your projects and the main goals that you have for the team versus the decentralized aspect of more line of engineering or in our case, you know, data engineering driven initiatives. I think governance is something because it's so wide ranging across an organization um, and you really need such a holistic view of it to be good at governance. That's something that we still see being driven a lot from the central efforts, from the executive level, from central IT. 
and the observability initiatives, we're more often seeing being driven by that line of engineering, by the data engineering group that has a much more immediate, um, a much more, much more immediate exposure to problems that are messing up data sets and the number of tickets that they're getting from analysts and scientists that have motivated them to bring in better data quality tool sets. So I think there's also a centralization, decentralization aspect of it um, as well. Oh, Joe, you're muted, I think. Yeah, that's a, a colorful movie. Um, so, <laughs> yeah, so um, for data quality, I mean, that, that's another one I, I think that, uh, you know, we're seeing a lot more um, interest and in talk about. Um, I think in the past, uh, data quality was one of those things where definitely larger companies were doing it because they had the uh, capacity to do it. But smaller companies, you might do a couple like some pretty menial checks, like making sure your counts are correct or stuff like that, but nothing that uh, you know robust. But nowadays, it seems data quality is is definitely up there with observability in terms of uh, everybody's talking about it. I think a lot more companies have an interest in doing it. Um, do you see a lot of companies in practice um, adopting uh, data quality compared to maybe a few years ago? Absolutely. Um, I think that's you know we we started the company knowing that data quality and observability were going to be important trends, but I think we were all surprised at how rapidly it's taken off and how many companies are prioritizing this. There's, there's no question that it's, uh, there's, you know, something in the water these days that are, that are making folks think about data quality. I think what's, um, there's uh, a lot of different ways of thinking about this issue. Uh, but, you know, systematically for us, we do think of, observability as an overall umbrella that includes a lot of different factors that help you make sure that your data is reliable. One of those has to do with how your pipelines are running, the performance of pipelines, being able to quickly catch when failures are happening and being able to close those issues and iterate quickly on your, your DAGs or your processes. The other bucket would be data quality in particular and this has to do with specifically the data flows going on within those, those pipelines and what might be wrong with the data sets that ultimately analysts and scientists are gonna be working from. Uh, there's a where, what, how set of questions on how folks are dealing with data quality that's all very different in organizations. So we're seeing you like uh, ubiquitous, you know, across the board prioritization of data quality as something that every organization needs to enforce, but every organization is thinking about it in a different way, how you get there, where you start, what it actually means. And um, that's, a, uh, that's what's really interesting for us as a startup to, to figure out the right matches and where we plug in and what we're, what we're seeing in the market as patterns. Tell me about this. So I think to me, there are many, many different um, aspects about data quality that you have to consider. One, like you said, is kind of internal breakage. In other words, bad code, um, maybe application issues or an application data change that's feeding into your systems. Uh, there's another aspect that I'll call like data entropy. And data entropy often comes from the outside. So for, or, or, or sort of the outside. So one example I've seen is that someone turned on a test tool on a website and so it was generating like all these search requests and that data was like creeping in to the supposedly clean data sets. And so you saw all these search terms showing up that were not actually very common 
in the real world. So tell, tell me about how you guys deal with data entropy versus like pipeline failure. So if I, I'll ask a question about that to make sure I understand. Um, so the notion is there's gonna be some kinds of problems that relate to data quality, which are uh, bound to how the pipelines operate. And then there's going to be some issues around data quality, which are totally independent of how the pipeline runs. So an example in the former camp would be a data analyst perceives a data quality problem when half the amount of expected records is coming through an end table that they're working with. And they might actually behind the scenes be working with perfect quality data, but a pipeline has failed to execute or finish in the expected window of time and just no data was, not enough data was passed through. So there's something wrong with the pipeline itself, but nothing wrong with the data. The second kind of issue would be all green on the pipeline. The pipeline runs as expected, it finishes in the appropriate window of time, but maybe some external data provider only dropped in half of the data to your data lake as they should. And we have the same problem at the end of the stream, but the uh, root cause had nothing to do with the pipeline. It was all the data set itself. Is that, am I understanding your question the right way? Exactly right, yeah. External data problems, basically problems that yeah. are outside the walls of your company quite often, yep. Yeah, so the way that we handle this is by providing good metadata into the different levels of how your infrastructure runs, right? So it's about just getting the information that's required at the right location. There's, there's two angles to this. One is, being able to capture information at the right level of infrastructure. So the level of depth that an observability solution is going to go in and grab. The second part of this, the second angle is where in the process you come in and where in the process you're measuring things. So what's gonna be really hard to do, well, what, what, uh, what you wanna do is be able to point to why this issue is occurring, right? It's gonna be easy to say that the table in the ultimate warehouse where the analyst is querying, it's gonna be pretty easy to say that it doesn't have as much data as you expect, right? The hard part about this problem is explaining why. Did that occur because of some issue with the pipeline or did it occur as the, I think you used the word entropy, which is interesting, but did, did it uh, occur because of some issue in the data set? Now, what you need to be able to answer that question is First of all, isolating information from the pipeline level and from the data set level. This is one ingredient to this equation, right? So being able to say your airflow or DBT process ran as expected, there are no failures here. Being able to just isolate that out as a cause of failure is a really important step, right? So essentially being able to uh, rule in or rule out the origin of this issue I think is uh, point number one, and that goes to the kinds of tooling that you're gonna be connected to based on our, our question of standardization before, can you as a tool or as a team collect the right metadata from your orchestrator, from what's running your pipelines and from the data processing level? That, that's point number one, to be able to isolate where the, the issue is coming from. The second part of this equation is being able to describe where in the process some problem is coming up. If you're only looking at the data table, for, for example, even if you're looking at the pipeline, you're looking at the data set, if you're only looking at that end table in the warehouse, you're not going to be able to isolate 
whether this was a pipeline issue or whether this was a data quality issue from the data set, the entropy, as you said. Um, if you, on the other hand, can go back to the ingestion itself and say, uh, here's the process and here's the data flow from the process that's delivering this data into the table, you will have the information that you need in order to say this was a pipeline issue or it was a data set issue, right? So within DataBand, for example, this is an important question because we're so focused on making sure that there isn't garbage in coming into the, into the process. So we like to see from the point of ingestion, you know, did that expected data set arrive in the data lake to begin with and being able to pinpoint the exact data source where the, the issue occurred, um, that would be the second angle that's really important for us to take. So the first part of this is understanding and being able to, to track metadata from the pipeline orchestrator, the tool that's running your pipelines, as well as the data sets themselves. The second part of this equation is being able to track through the process from the point of ingestion to that ultimate table in your warehouse. And that's what provides the right resolution to be able to say, this was a pipeline issue, it was a data set issue, and give engineers the information they need to go in and fix the problem. That's interesting. Kind of a, of a two-part question here. Um, I, I think to, to follow on with what you're saying, I mean, how much do you think these data quality and observability checks are going to move upstream into the source systems themselves that generate data? So we're talking production databases um, and even the systems that those production databases rely upon. Um, I, I see in a lot of cases, like there's definitely the angle of um, data uh, pollution when you're talking about uh, data warehouses and such, but there's also data pollution when you're talking about transactional systems to begin with. Um, you know, customer records are just wrong in the databases and so forth. Uh, it's sort of a, a, maybe a, a bit of a flavor on uh, MDM and sort of not. I, I see that as being maybe, um, you know, sort of an, an older way of doing things. It's still current for sure. Scott Taylor will, will probably criticize me for saying MDM's uh, old school, but I, you know, I, I think to make it uh, applicable to startups, maybe there needs to be a way where, you know, you kind of have observability all throughout the, the chain, um, not just at the point of ingestion. What are, you, what are your thoughts on that? Um, and then I have a second question regarding uh, external data sources, which will sort of. Yeah, there's, there, external data sources are really bound together in this question. Yeah. I love this question because, um, uh, Something that's really close to, to our heart is being able to sit at the point of, sit at the boundaries between upstream teams and downstream teams, because this is the first point where problems occur. This is something that's that uh, we like to, the, an approach that we like to take in our solution. Um, from a sort of philosophical level, the way that we see it is we're all living in one big data pipeline, right? There's teams within this starts within an organization so you're a, a data science team you have your own pipelines there that maybe train your models but there's always going to be an upstream organization that's feeding you data that in a big company that might be a platform team within uh, another part of the organization um, and within a small company it, it might be an external data provider right so there's always this a uh, higher level system that's going to be feeding data into your organization. We really like to sit at the boundary between these teams because that's, you know, to, to the earlier question, that's where data problems are going to start. And we like to cut them off at the source from the very beginning, right? So we want to be able to see if a upstream team, whether that's in the company or outside the company, 
is delivering data as expected. And if they're not, catch that proactively and catch that even before it makes its way, the, the, the problem makes its way to a table downstream. I think uh, a nuance for especially big teams that goes um, understated in the market is the amount of cost and time that accrues if you're only looking at problems in the downstream system like the warehouse where people are querying. For a lot of the teams that we work with, it might take hours. In some rare cases, it can take over a day for data to actually get from the initial point of ingestion to the analytical system where people are querying. You know, if you have a, a typical typical kind of setup where you have the data lake or staging area S3, you have maybe Spark jobs running on that, that's ultimately going to deliver data to a tool like Snowflake or Redshift. If you're only looking at that final landing zone, that might be hours, possibly days after the initial problem is detectable within that first delivery into your lake. So we like to sit at that, that uh, boundary between organizations because first of all, it helps us detect issues as soon as they're detectable. It also helps us um, understand which sources require the most attention, right? So if there's some upstream organization that's predictably sending unpredictable data or unreliable data, when you sit at the, the initial ingestion point, you can sort of triage that and you can go hand in hand with your data science team up to that platform area or that platform team and say, hey, you know, you folks are consistently sending unreliable deliveries. We're seeing schema changes six times a week. We're frequently seeing half the data that we expect. Can you help us improve the reliability here? And that's actually a good way of introducing a solution like Datadan to that upstream organization. So we, from the, from the aspect of sitting in this one big global data pipeline, the wave of observability, no question, is going to expand up and it's going to expand down across organizations. So there's a bit of an interesting network effect that we're seeing more of in the market as this wave really uh, takes off. Interesting. What are your thoughts, Matt? Yeah, I think it's really interesting. I mean, I, I think one of the things we've discovered in working with a lot of clients and just researching the domain is that uh, I, I believe people have kind of been interested in data observability for a long time, but in adopting these sort of DevOps practices. But the, the tough part is that um, I think DevOps questions are much more binary. So in other words, you can ask, okay, what's the latency for a request? How long is it taking for a request to be served? Or how many requests am I receiving? Am I being DDoSed? Um, Am I getting a lot of rejected requests coming into my website? Where with data, it's just much more subtle questions you're addressing. So you can have, we've seen cases where data disappears or it's corrupted for months before anyone notices. In that case, I have to ask like what, how they're really using that data at that point. But you can have, and that's why I use the term entropy. You can have these big data changes that are not binary at all. They're highly, highly statistical where the data could disappear or maybe half of it goes missing, or maybe it just changes in a very fundamental way that tells you that the upstream quality is much, much harder. And so I think that's why this is a really exciting time to be in the domain, because to me, it feels like the observability problem is almost as hard to solve as like problems in deep learning that were really, really critical a couple of years ago as there was like an explosion in image rec recognition technology. And so it feels like we're at kind of a crossroads here and you know, Databands and other companies in this domain are really 
they're, within a couple of years, I feel like this is going to revolutionize data in some ways. I mean, we're really going to have like much better anomaly detection for external data sources than we had just a few years ago. Well, yeah, I think this is this brings up an interesting point too. I mean, the, the binary comment I think was um, kind of resonated, but I was thinking about it over the weekend. Um, sort of the uh, progression of observability, really, where DevOps. I mean, that that as you say, is very binary, right? Either your app works or it doesn't, mm. and like it's pretty concrete. Uh, your users will. I think understand very quickly if the thing uh, works. Reports, though, you start moving up the, kind of up the food chain of data, right? So reports are a bit different. Um, Matt and I always say data is a silent killer, where um, you know you may be operating off a report for months or years and not even know the data was wrong. That happens all the time. So, and when you start hearing things like, "Oh, the, well, at least the data is directionally correct," um, or it has a <laughs> trend, then you're like, "Well, okay, then." <laughs> There you go. But then you get into machine learning observability, right? And so I, I think there's increasingly um, like probabilistic uncertainty as you move up the, the food chain, um, so to speak. I'll do you one better. The um, please do. <laughs> yeah. The what's even more funky about the the worlds where we operate is you can have a data product that behaves exactly as designed and as intended that has results that are completely. Uh, out of line with your organization's goals, right? Mm -hmm. So uh, this is especially going to come up in the machine learning domain. But um, as you said, you know very quickly if your Salesforce, if your application is working or not, right? Folks are going to come in, they hit four or four errors. Okay, we have a problem, very binary kind of issue. If you're Microsoft and you release a new Twitter bot into the world, it can behave exactly within the parameters of its design and it starts going off color and now you're uh, in a PR disaster, right? So the, the, um, yeah. the type of constraints that exist within the classic DevOps world are just, they, they just need to be redefined and they need to be built from the ground up. The, the standards and how we think about measuring data products, especially as you go into the, um, the ML and more sophisticated domains, this is uh, just a, a whole new world of problems that, that need to be addressed. I think we're starting from the right place, which is from a lot of data, right? So let, let's collect all the data that's available about how these systems operate, and let's start teasing through where systems start becoming unreliable. But um, another interesting trend that I, I see coming up uh, a little bit now is the, the notion of a new kind of operational center for the data organization. So we have the SOC team that secures the, uh, or that monitors the, the security behavior of an organization. We have the NOC team that monitors network operations. These have all kind of been folded into the DevOps org and really modern teams, but that's occurred after there's been a lot of standards in place that has matured those kinds of uh, disciplines. I think in big organizations, we're gonna start to see more of the, the DOC team start to pick up the data operations center that has the big dashboards that has a little more human touch involved in making sure that these systems are are operating as expected and those heuristics that you know a human operator might watch an observability panel for data those heuristics are ultimately going to get worked into these actual systems mixed in with the probabilistic and deterministic detection techniques that you know folks like us have in our products and eventually become a lot more automated and um, probably uh, re-centralized into the core operations team. But it feels like a, a, uh, a big reason to have 
even more prioritization on these kinds of problems today because they're just it's such a new domain and it can be extremely damaging to an organization if these tools are not being properly watched. Well, that brings up an interesting point. I mean, you brought up uh, Tay, uh, Microsoft's um, Twitter bot that uh, became a, a racist bigot in less than 24 hours. Um, which, what, I th- what I found interesting about that at the time, I think that was 2017, people knew to game the Twitter bot immediately and just jumped on it. Like there wasn't much of a, uh, a hesitation in terms of, oh, let's be nice to this thing. It's like, no, let's, let's, um, let's turn into a racist bigot on Twitter. Um, I thought that was uh, disturbing, slightly awesome, but also very, again, very disturbing in the sense where it sort of highlighted, I think, what, you know, you saw this with the um, social media as well being gamed uh, for elections. Um, imagine what happens now when people start, uh, you know, sort of maliciously um, weaponizing your models against your company. Uh, I, I increasingly see this as being something on the level of ransomware uh, at some point where, Unless you know the expected behavior of your models, for example, um, you will get drift on a level that uh, is actually going to work against you quite quickly and in rapid time as well. So this is, um, yeah, it was another thing I was just thinking about where um, it, it, right now cybersecurity is a really big thing. I, I don't think you've seen anything yet when you when you start seeing data being weaponized, um, you know, against your own company. That that is a real threat. So. Yeah, it's interesting. Well, um, I uh, I can't guarantee that we would have preempted you right. know, the, the turning <laughs> of pay, but but what what I can what I can say is um, having tooling in place. You know, we we don't specialize deeply in how models behave. We're watching more the upstream process yeah. that deliver data to those models, and there are techniques that you can use in a solution like ours to anticipate that something weird is happening, right? So if, for example, this kind of goes into the the type of alerting that that we'll raise, but if we see that there's a spike in uh, just input data coming into a model, that might raise the first alarm bells here, right? Like if, you know, the the first, uh, if this is the analogy of a ML DDoS attack, right? Uh, Us seeing that there are those requests being sent in or that data being pushed in um, this might, you know, raise some flags initially that just get people looking, okay, is there something weird going on here? Even deeper than that, if we see, you know, maybe you bake in a little bit of more specialized way that you're tracking input data into that model that has some, in this case, it would probably have some NLP in it, but a solution like DataBand can help to surface different types of input data going into a model like that or going into an engineering organization when that model is going to get retrained. Right. So even in this case, awareness is the place that you need to start. Um, I don't think Microsoft is slowing down on their AI investments. They're just redefining them. And it just goes to the point earlier about how important observability is becoming to these these domains to explain how things are behaving. You have no shot at explaining how a deep learning model behaves um, without understanding the data feeds going into it. And this, this is why even in that area, uh, our company really wants to stay focused on those initial data engineering groups, the data platform groups that are, that are the source of data for those organizations. Yeah, th- this is a really interesting area to speculate, honestly. I mean, because we think about DDoS attacks, right? Someone hits your site with a bunch of traffic, no one can get to it. 
but you can imagine a scenario where you have a kind of a data DDoS attack. Uh, so for you, typically, mm -hmm. data engineers think about bots scraping the site, right? And they're constantly, it's a huge headache. You have to filter out this data so you can see actual customer behavior. But what if instead an attacker tried to, wasn't interested in scraping, they were just hitting you with a bunch of events and they tried to make them look like real human events to confuse your real-time pricing models, for example. You can imagine scenarios like this. And then that tooling, you know, your sort of knock for data is gonna become very, very important. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Yeah, well, we, we started the conversation, I think our first question was around governance. And I, I think that that boundary between what is engineering oriented observability and what is security oriented observability, this is very much related to that, right? Mm -hmm. And I think um, as expected and probably as typical for like an engineering organization, just like in the DevOps world, solving the, the task backlog is, a lot of the impetus that we see of folks coming in and looking for observability tools today, like just solving those core data quality issues. Let's get the products out there and let's let's make sure that they're reliable and that we have good turnaround on our pipeline development and that analysts trust the data that we're feeding them. But on the boundaries today, you know, it, it's a it's a bullet point in in the conversation list. Like, what? How do we think about security of this data overall, and how do we think about um, governance and we haven't uh, we haven't seen too much of the ML DDoS yet, but um, it, it is an interesting area that uh, it will only make observability and having good monitoring in place that much more critical because this is this is just where you, you need to start. Um, I think for us, it also it relates to um, something that we focus a lot on in DataBand is helping companies that have a lot of external data sources. Um, if you're an organization that's like only analyzing or building models off of Google AdWords and LinkedIn and uh, Facebook ads, those kind of like core data sets that are really, really common for an analytics team, this may not be that much of a concern for you, right? Very unlikely that someone's gonna hook in through those internal systems or some maybe database that you have that's running your CRM in a big company, it's gonna be a lot harder for organizations to like make their way in through internal data feeds, but from an outside source, from a web scraper, from a external data provider, or from some streaming process of your application that's like tracking usage information, these might be more interesting vectors for folks to get up to more nefarious kind of activity. And those external providers are something that we wanna help organizations understand in particular, mm -hmm. because they're so much less predictable. Well, yeah, especially right now when um, data sharing is becoming uh, kind of all the rage. Um, what are your thoughts on uh, data sharing and observability? Uh, we want to provide as much infrastructure that cultivates that sharing in a safe way as possible. I, I think like this is, um, uh, what's exciting about it is uh, the amount of growth of data use in organizations before there's a lot of interoperability between companies and before there's all this sharing. It's just, uh, it's astounding to think the rate of data consumption that's gonna grow after there's more smooth interfaces between organizations. And I think the reverse ETL tools in the market are kind of cultivating more of this mentality of just how do we pipe data better between companies and, and do more um, do more uh, like cross-pollination of data set use across organizations. 
it's uh, it's really, really exciting. Um, what we need is as that sharing becomes more prolific, how do we certify the reliability of these sources cross organization? How do we index the, um, the quality of data that organizations will learn to depend on? And I think that's the, the perfect uh, use case for solutions like ours that are going to come in and and you know, sit at the boundary between these teams, understand what data sources are being delivered in externally, and being able to measure and share that information across the market, right? So we, we have a, a vision, a goal of being able to describe to different organizations out there, here's the common external data sets that we think are trusted, reliable, that you can depend on, and um, essentially uh, sitting as the uh, you know, certifier across those, those teams, making sure that, that folks feel comfortable working with them, with, with these data sets. So, I mean, observability is like clearly um, a, a critical ingredient in, in that trend. The other interesting trend is just data integration itself, right? Being able to like pipe this data in a standardized way across teams and across organizations. And um, I think this is where the interesting companies like Fivetran and Meltano, Airbyte, um, that's where they can, uh, uh, introduce some really good pathways of, of opening up the, the data sharing uh, data sharing activity. Um, what are you, what are you, speaking of integrations, like what are your thoughts on the, on the progression of that field as well? I mean, do, do, you, do you see that observability is going to be more baked into these kind of tools going forward or, um, because I, I know right now it seems like it, it's a bit of a it feels like it's a bit of a black box. Like I, I set up my connectors, I get my data, and it, well, if it's if it's off, what do I you know? If there's some data quality issue in the data I piped in, there may or may not be much recourse about it. So yeah, well, um, as you can probably tell from the way that we that, that I, I talk about this stuff, we, we we really are biased towards catching issues as soon as they are detectable, right? As soon as they come into the data org. So sitting closer to the integration providers is like a natural positioning for us because we wanna be able to highlight to organizations when, as soon as like a problem arises and the, and the cause of that problem. And it's, it's hard to do that when you have, when you're only watching downstream tables in the warehouse especially for teams that have a lot of external data sources or a lot of data sources. You get this fan kind of architecture and you may have consistent pain coming from a particular data source. And if it's feeding into a table along with a few others, you may never actually find that, right? Uh, an interesting like uh, uh, way of, of modeling that mentally is, um, let's say you have a data completeness issue where you have a data source that's only delivering 50% of the data that it's supposed to be delivering. But that data source is sitting next to 10 other data sources and they're all ultimately being delivered into a common table together. If it's a similar amount of data, this is just sort of how the math works, if it's a similar amount of data coming from all those sources, when you are only watching the table and you apply some probabilistic model to that, the data gap coming from one source may be always hidden relative to the total amount of data that's being delivered in, right? So that kind of issue, if you're not watching that initial point of integration, it's never gonna be detected, 
right? It's always going to be washed out by all the data sets that you're integrating with. So we want to provide resolution into the specific sources of data as much as possible. And you're absolutely right. The integration providers, their chief objective is to get the data from point A to point B, right? That initial like baseline that we talked about. It's going to be um, it's going to be a long time before those providers are able to spend the resources to be able to also quality control mm -hmm. the data that they're that they're pushing in. But it is a natural next step. It, it is in that natural critical path for those providers. My, our bet is that they're going to get there through partnership with organizations like ours that can come in and, and tie nicely into those solutions and sort of round out the experience for our users. And just like in our, our integrations with other tools out there that help us get metadata, it's important for a solution like ours to be really interoperable on the reading end from our system. So being able to like capture the information that we detect of some data quality issue and consume it in a central location along with your data from your integration provider, just making sure that the pipe worked and that the data set's reliable and clean. Um, this is uh, how, how we see that emerging, but um, it is a, a natural request of users. It's, it's definitely a demand in the market to have more data quality checking, more reliability baked into the initial integration from the source. Scott Taylor has another question here. Um, he, he wants you to go deeper on this point of evaluating and certifying uh, external data sets. Absolutely. I think um, for a, uh, there's a few ways of, of attacking this one. Um, I, I think there's the methods that are used to detect different kinds of data quality issues, which would go into deterministic kind of checking and probabilistic kind of checking. So you can think about those as two methods that would be used to certify sources. But for an external provider, to be able to come in and say, this data set is clean and quality assured and certified, most of what you're gonna be looking for is consistency. Because without specialized knowledge of the domain, which over time can be built up, but let's say in the immediate future, solution like, solutions like ours, the observability solutions, we're looking for consistency at the end of the day. So. Uh, certification of a data set is going to come from measurements of how dependable that data set is, how consistent and reliable the data set is. So let's take, for example, a um, let's say you're a, a hedge fund. You're a big hedge fund and you work with lots of different data sources to determine whether or not Facebook's stock price is going to go up and down. Some of those data sources are going to be quite uh, unusual, quite, quite uh, interesting and novel. For example, maybe you're looking at the amount of, uh, uh, well, let's take a better example. Forget Facebook, let's take Walmart, even more interesting examples here. One of the data sources that you work with may be some satellite imagery that counts the number of cars that are in a Walmart parking lot, right? And that'll tell you as a predictor whether or not there's going to be a heavy retail year for Walmart and whether that stock is going to go up and down. And let's say you're the hedge fund and you're getting that delivery of data from that satellite imaging company. They're dropping that data set into your lake every morning at 6 a.m. before your, your traders come in and start analyzing it or your algos come in and start anal analyzing it. 
if a solution like DataBand is, is focused on that delivery of data, what we're ultimately going to look for is the consistency of those deliveries from the external provider, right? And that'll, that'll come from a few different levels. Level one would be, is the data being delivered at all? This is the highest level of metadata that we're looking for. Is it present, right? Um, if we see at 6 a.m. and the data set's not delivered, alarm bells, right? Then we start going deeper, how we get more, uh, more measurements of consistency. So we're gonna look at the amount of data within that file or that delivery. Is that consistent? Then we're gonna look at specific kinds of metrics, right? Is there the normal amount of, uh, is there a, a normal standard div of different columns in there? Are we seeing a lot of duplicate values occur? Are we seeing a lot of null values pop up? We're gonna start in inspecting that data set at a deeper level, and that's gonna flow through to measurements of consistency. Um, this bridges into how we measure consistency or how a tool like ours is gonna measure consistency. Some approaches are gonna be probabilistic using anomaly detection and outlier detection. Others are gonna be more determinist deterministic, like if you see that there's always six columns here and it drops to five, raise an alarm, right? Not a big probabilistic jump maybe, but in the structure of a, of a data set, we know that that's really important. That's a significant change. That's gonna raise some alarm bells. So all about consistency, different approaches baked into how you actually grab that, um, grab that measurement. And this is what we would use to you know, certify something, how reliable it is. So is it fair to say that we maybe we could call you guys like data anomaly detection versus data governance? To me, there should be sort of a virtual virtuous cycle between those two, but they're not necessarily the same thing, like you're saying. No question. Um, I would not bill us as a data governance tool. Yeah. I would I would bill us as a data reliability, observability solution, and data quality is part of what we're measuring. Pipeline execution, pipeline performance is part of what we're measuring. We're just trying to be as holistic as possible in the sources of information that we use to certify or mark reliable these deliveries of, of data into your, your analytics organization. Um, but I think ultimately for us, we can be a important feed of information to the governance applications or the governance org and maybe we can be enough for those teams to feel you know, baseline levels of governance covered. But our primary objective as an application, we wanna help data engineers find and fix problems quickly. That's what, that's what we uh, gear towards. That's what our mission is. Um, governance, I think, is a ancillary to that for us today. Makes a lot of sense. Um, looks like we're coming up on time. I mean, for people who want to get started uh, with data observability, what are some ways they could uh, try it out in their stack? Yeah, well, I, I think um, the, the first thing that I would recommend, because there's, there's just so much noise in the market, is um, get a sense of what your team needs and how your team works. I, I, I think, um, you know, we're, we're always happy to talk to folks that are in exploratory mode and they're just like educating and, and learning and we will give very, very uh, honest advice and suggestions on whether or not DataBand is gonna be a fit or if there's some other, uh, some other solutions out there. But the, the first thing that I like to go through with organizations that are interested is um, think about consistent problems that occur in your organization. Think about how your organization works, what the future of your organization looks like, 
and use that to target what solution is going to be most important for you. So as an example, if, um, if you're working with a lot of external sources of data, if the reliability of those sources is something that is you know, bringing you down is, uh, is a constant um, cause of issues, or at least you have an intuition that that's the case, because most teams that we talk to don't have a lot of monitoring in place, obviously. Um, talk to us. We'll get you set up with a trial of the solution, um, and uh, we'll, we'll kind of prove to you that our application can help before you make a, a big investment. Um, a good place to start, I think, is um, is uh, so a good place to start is to model where those problems are coming from. And another hand, if most of the issue is around how analysts are coming in and like querying data, there might be other solutions that, that we recommend, right? But um, uh, having a good sense of where your problems are, that's always the best place to start. Um, if you're an engineering forward organization, there's some really interesting open source tools that can also help you learn more about your data before you start making big investments. So uh, a tool out there that we really like, for example, provides really deep data quality checking is um, DQ, pushed out by AWS, uh, AWS team, sort of like great expectations, um, but sort of uh, very spark intensive. Uh, we see it being used by some really interesting at scale organizations. There's all these different open source solutions that can help you sort of dip your toes try out some things and inform a little more what you're ultimately looking for in as an organization before you make a, a big investment. Uh, Scott wants to know, um, are you in the same space as Monte Carlo? Yes, we are in the same space as Monte Carlo. Monte Carlo, um, we think of as focusing a little more on the analytics end of the problem. So we see them a lot more in organizations that are more uh, SQL intensive, maybe le a lot less or like no code environments. And data band is more of a fit for organizations that are engineering forward, that have more complexity around the data sources that they're pulling in, probably have a lot more data sources that they're working with. Uh, we have a good fit within like central data engineering platform teams that maybe are sitting a little more upstream to where, where Monte Carlo will come in, but both are in the data observability domain, definitely. Cool. Awesome, yeah, thanks for clarifying that. Well, awesome, uh, for people who wanna find out more about you and DataBand, how would they do that? Visit our website, okay. uh, ask for a demo of the application. Uh, you'll probably bump into uh, someone friendly from the team and uh, we'll, we'll take you through it. So databand.ai, and you can learn more information there. Awesome. Cool, man. Um, shameless plug for us, Ternary Data. Um, if you like this video, uh, subscribe to our YouTube at Ternary Data. Um, you can also find this video posted there and stream there as well. So if you're not on LinkedIn, you can go on YouTube and check it out. Also, we have a weekly newsletter. Go to ternarydata.com. Subscribe to that. We got exclusive content every week that will never be published or will very rarely be published on our website. Um, a lot of people have been asking about the content in the newsletter. Um, I find myself forwarding old issues of it to people because uh, it's just that awesome. <laughs> so um, that said, uh, yeah, please support our content uh, and appreciate the audience. Looks like we had quite a few people show up on LinkedIn today, which is awesome. Um, cool. Well, I, I think, uh, you know, any uh, questions that are in the chat, um, Josh can um, or his team can go ahead and answer those. 
um, sort of after this. But um, yeah, I appreciate you coming on and, uh, you know, looking forward to seeing uh, you guys out and um, hearing more about you. So. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It was, it was great. Thank you so much for the invite. Love the questions from the, the audience here. Um, if anyone has any other questions, just reach out to us. And I think, um, Joe, we're, we're expecting you pretty soon on our own podcast. So we're, uh, we're excited to have you on over there as well. Podcasts everywhere. It's, it'll be fun. So podcast on podcast. I, I get to be in the hot seat. So <laughs> exactly. Yeah. We'll, yeah. we'll have a list of questions ready for you. Awesome. Can't wait. <laughs> so, all right. We'll talk to you soon, Josh. Take okay. care. And thanks for coming on. See you. Take care.